0: Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We're a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. In today's podcast, we have our Connections Pastor, Todd Cook, starting his series called Greatest. Describing someone or something as the greatest is not that uncommon. In sports, politics, and entertainment, That word gets thrown around with relative ease. And guess what? Over 2,000 years ago, the disciples were doing the exact same thing with each other when Jesus demonstrated what true greatness actually looks like. So with that, let's turn it over to Pastor Todd and his series, Greatest.
1: Almost 17 years ago, Carolyn and I started this really crazy adventure. It's an adventure that has brought us so much joy, joy, some really special moments, and some moments that we have felt pretty overwhelmed by some challenges. See, we were looking forward to the birth of our first son. And it was actually eight days from today was the due date uh, for Dawson. And he actually ended up making us wait an extra 10 days, you know, just letting us know that we should start expecting the unexpected. I felt like we waited forever for him. Even the, the last few weeks, and it even during labor and delivery, obviously Carolyn was doing all the work, but it felt like I'd waited forever. But then in an instant, I was a dad. I was a dad. Was I prepared to be a dad? No, I was not prepared to be a dad. Did I know what I was in for? Absolutely not. You might be asking, did you know anything about being a dad? I knew a few things, but I soon learned that I knew far less than I ever thought, that I knew about being a dad. So much has changed in the past 17 years. We actually have four kids now, and I remember those first moments with each of them. So much has changed. But you know, there's one thing that hasn't changed, and that's my desire to be a really great dad. But how do you do that? This is something that I continue to work on. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Todd, I'm the Connections Pastor, And I'll be speaking the next few weeks as Nathan continues on his sabbatical. And I'm going to be doing a two-week mini-series entitled Greatest. In life, oftentimes we're attracted to perceived greatness. I don't know about you, but that's what I find. Whether it's a great leader or someone who's great at sports or music or whatever it is, we're attracted to greatness. But what I've found over the years is that I actually find greatness in other spots. Maybe not people that are on such a stage. What are we actually looking for when we look for greatness? How do we get there ourselves? How do we get to be great ourselves? And how can we live that out? How can we live the greatest life possible? These are a few questions that I hope to answer over the next couple weeks. Now, I will focus on dads a little bit today because it is Father's Day. But I recognize this message is going to a really broad audience. And this is certainly applicable to each and every one of us. As I mentioned, we often equate greatness uh, with a great leader. Someone that is just really visible. For me, it's athletes. Like, I really love sports. When I think about greatness, the first names that come to my mind are probably like Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Tom Brady, Wayne Gretzky. See, all of these people have had greatest attached to their names. And, and why is that? I find one of the reasons is, at least in certain times, they have been the greatest in the world at the sport that they uh, played or that they performed. But there's something else. Each of those men had won lots of these, lots of trophies. And oftentimes, when we're looking for greatness, we'll look for something like that. We'll look for trophies. And these guys, they worked their entire lives from when they were little kids to win trophies that are way more extravagant than that trophy. They worked so hard towards it, and now that they have it, it sits on a shelf or in a case somewhere, but it tells everyone around them that they were, at least in a moment, the very greatest. They were the greatest. At the end of the day, I feel like most dads are probably like myself. We want to be the greatest. We want to maybe win that trophy or have that recognition, but we truly do want to be The greatest, but we do it in different ways. Some of us will do it with special talents. Like you saw Paul Hudson, the video that was on right before me. uh, World's greatest farter. Congratulations, Paul. That was a really, really great job. And I know it says father at the end, but I just thought that was pretty funny. But some of us will chase greatness with a special talent. Perhaps it will be to make lots of money so we can buy things for the people in our family or people that are around us. For some of us, we actually are... Chasing after greatness by trying to be liked by everyone. Another way that I find dads do this a lot is to achieve things. And not just for themselves. Like this trophy is an example right here. This is actually a trophy that one of my kids won at a tournament. And I can assure you, there are arenas all over North America, all over the world, that are filled with people, filled with dads, filled with moms, They're actually trying to win one of these trophies through their kids. It's so easy to get sucked into. And as much pride as you can have in in these things sometimes, do they really and truly bring you to greatness? Because sometimes I find that we can get a little off base when we're looking for this. We get a little off base with what greatness looks like and how to get there. Because, you know what, honestly, it can just be confusing. And a prime example is this. This right here. This trophy says best parent. And I think I've talked about this before. But when our kids were younger, um, my two brothers and two sister-in-laws and my wife, we created this trophy called the best parent trophy. And if you haven't heard me talk about this before, you might be thinking, wow, what a great idea. What a great way to encourage each other to do the best job you possibly could to be the greatest parent you can. And you could say that. You'd be entirely wrong, though. That's not at all what this trophy was about. In fact, best parent was a very sarcastic statement. You know what? Some trophies, like this one, are just misleading. See, for us, I remember getting the trophy the one time when I brought my family to watch a great movie. See, our dog had just died two weeks before. So I brought them to watch a movie called A Dog's Purpose. I don't know if you've seen that movie it's basically a movie where a dog keeps dying over and over again. Terrible choice. I got the trophy. Then there was the time my, my brother and sister-in-law, Chad Madison, they were at a Blue Jays game and they lost Liam. And they go and talk to a security guard. And he's like, what is he wearing? He's wearing a Jays jersey. Uh, Chad Madison, you guys get the trophy. There was the time that we left Kayla in a strolling parking lot at Disney. And there were so many other instances There was hot tub covers that got knocked over on kids, tailgates that fell on kids' heads, and some other things that I probably would be best not to mention. The one thing that you might notice is you're like, well, I thought it was the three of you, like your two brothers and two sister-in-laws and wife. I didn't hear anything about Dan and Abby. That's true. I can only remember one instance of them ever getting the trophy. But you know what, that's a different sermon. That has nothing to do with humility. That's actually honesty. They didn't tell us a thing. The point is, sometimes the trophies that we chase in life are very misleading. We can be chasing the wrong thing entirely sometimes, can't we? Something we perceive as great might not actually be great. And fortunately, we're not the first people to do that. Because in the Bible, we have examples of people that did that as well. In fact, we have examples from the people that follow Jesus closest. And I'm just going to read uh, two short uh, parts of Scripture, and then we're going to land uh, somewhere else, just to give you a bit of context. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look in the book of Mark first. And as we look, I'm looking at uh, chapter 7, and Jesus is preaching some sermons. Uh, He's healing people. He feeds thousands of people. More sermons, more healings. And then we get into chapter 9, and there's this transfiguration, this incredible moment where Jesus and a few of the disciples are there. And Elijah and Moses, people that had died long ago, are appearing before them. And then more healings. So at this point, I would be thinking the disciples are like, wow, Jesus is the greatest. And this is where we land in Mark 9, verse 33. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If any one of you would be first, he must be last, and must be servant to all. Jesus was doing all of this amazing stuff, and what are the disciples doing? They are arguing over which of them is the greatest. They were completely off base. How does this even make sense when you read the story? But Jesus set them straight here, right? Well, actually, if we turn one chapter over, and uh, so we're reading in Mark 10, and I'll just read verse 37 here, and this is a couple more of them. And they said to him, grant us, this is them talking to Jesus, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Again, they are chasing away that they can be the greatest. They're clearly not getting this. But in verse 43, Jesus says, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be, among, um, would be great among you must be a servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I actually find this a little bit encouraging, to know that the disciples, the people that followed him closest, got confused by this, because I know I, got, I get confused by this often. Here Jesus is telling them how to be great. He was giving them the information, but clearly they weren't getting it. And Jesus Jesus noticed at this moment that they just weren't getting it. So he had to up his game a little bit. He wasn't just going to tell them. He wasn't just going to give them another sermon. It was going to be a visual sermon this time. And that takes us uh, to the book of John in chapter 13. Now these are different books, but this is actually very shortly after some of these other conversations happen. So I'm going to be reading through uh, John 13. We're going to be talking about John 13 this week and also a little bit next week. Um, And I'll just stop a few times um, through to just explain some context and take out some key points. So if you have your Bible or you can follow the words on the screen, John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, remember that name, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garment, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. So, just to give you a bit of context here, the disciples are all meeting together with Jesus. Passover meal, this is a really big deal. Like Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner, this is a really big deal and they're getting together. Now culturally what would happen is they would all have really dirty feet. They would all have really dirty feet, they're wearing sandals, they would get to the house and generally there would be someone who worked at the house or a servant or someone like that would have a basin of water and they would wash the feet of those attending. But you see, Jesus creates a tension here. Jesus creates attention because there was no servant there. So usually if it's not a servant, it has to be someone else that is low. It's, it's something like, the you know, the whole pecking order. You've heard that term? See, I heard that term, and then last year around this time, we got some chickens, and I got to see it firsthand. We got to discover that some of our chickens were, as my sister-in-law calls them, murder chickens. Like, if you're not fitting into the pecking order properly, they would kill you or at least try to kill you. And the disciples aren't trying to kill each other here, but there is something going on. There's a tension in this room. There's an elephant in the room. And nobody wants to admit it. And it's really awkward, because nobody wants to be picked least. No one wants to be seen as undesirable. And please don't forget, these are the same disciples that just weeks, maybe months before, were arguing about who is the greatest, who is the greatest. Certainly, not any of them wanted to be the one that was washing everyone else's feet and admitting that they were lowest. But then the tension when Jesus assumes the posture of the servant. He assumes the posture that any one of them would have been right to assume, but Jesus starts going there. And as I read the Bible, I think it's important to try and really feel what they're feeling. And the closest thing I could think to this, I don't know if any of you have been there, but if someone had asked you, like if my wife Carolyn has asked me to do something at home, whether it be a chore, to move something heavy, whatever that is. And she'll ask me, and sometimes I do it right away, and oftentimes I will put it off. And then she might ask me again the next day, and then the third day, and then maybe even a fourth day, and I just don't get around to it. I have really good excuses, but I don't do it. But it seems to have happened multiple times in our marriage, and usually when there's other people around, that all of a sudden we're all talking, we're standing in a circle, and in the background is Carolyn moving something. She has no business moving. She's moving something she's asked me to move for four days. And that feeling I have inside is like, I have messed up. I have completely messed up. You feel sick to your stomach just watching it. You want to run to help, but it's almost too late. You've already blown it. This is the feeling. I don't know if you can identify with me, but this is the feeling these disciples are having in this moment as Jesus assumes the posture of a servant. I'll continue in verse 5. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So not only did he assume the posture of a servant, he is now doing things that a servant would do. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, You have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, Jesus is doing a few things here. Obviously, he's he's talking a little bit about what some events that are about to happen. Jesus is about to die on the cross and cleanse them of their sins as he rises again. But Jesus is also, as we're about to read, he is also trying to teach them a very valuable lesson. That if you want to be greatest, you're going to serve. And you know what? Thank God for Peter. Thank God for Peter. As I mentioned, everyone was feeling this humiliation right now because their master, their teacher is doing this. But Peter at least says something. He verbalizes that humiliation. And we're so thankful to have that because nobody else says a word. But you know what's really, really powerful when you think about it? Do you know that Jesus ended up washing Peter's feet? Even though very soon Jesus is about to tell Peter that he is going to deny Jesus three times. Peter's going to deny even knowing Jesus three times, yet Jesus washes his feet. And then if that's not powerful enough, think about Judas. Nowhere in here does it say that Jesus does not wash Judas's feet. Perhaps the greatest enemy that Jesus had on the earth at that time, Judas, the one that was about to betray him, Jesus washed his feet. I'll pick this up again in verse 12. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. The disciples missed this message the first two times Jesus said it. I would hope that at the end of this visual sermon, seeing Jesus actually do what he was telling them to do, it must have hit home in a much different way. And he gives us that example to serve one another. I just want to take a couple minutes and, and, and pull three truths about greatness. Again, we're talking about greatness the next two weeks. Three truths about greatness that we can get out of this passage. The first one would be, the only way to true greatness is humility. It is choosing the towel over trophies. It is choosing service over recognition from others and other people lifting us up. See, everyone knows that the trophy says, hey, look at me. Look at what I did. Look at how good I am. But we know, if we meet a person who talks like that, we know that's not Greatness. It doesn't sound like greatness. It doesn't feel like greatness. It's not greatness. In fact, it's quite the opposite. But you know, and I know, we know instinctively, when we've met those people that are truly humble, when we've met those people in life that are lifting other people up, we know that there's something there that is great. They don't have to tell us it's great. They don't have to have trophies that signify it's great. We just know they're great. The first person that came to my mind when I thought of this was Mother Teresa, and her whole life was spent serving people. But I thought, I wanted to get in a context of our everyday life. And immediately I thought of a couple men. These men were Kirk Goodman and Andrew Friesen to start. They've spoken the past three weeks, and they're both people that live their lives to lift other people up. They live their lives in a humble fashion, and they are great men. And with this being Father's Day, I'd love to honor my father as well. My dad is retiring in a week. He's retiring in a week from now, and that's crazy. For approximately 35 years, he's been running a business as a mechanic, and he has fixed lots of cars. Is he the greatest mechanic in the world? Probably not. But you know what? He's been greatest in the things that matter. His whole business has been centered around serving people. And what an example he has given us. Sure, we can find temporary greatness when we try and win a trophy. You can feel it for a little bit, but we all know that's not true greatness. So the way to true greatness is humility. The second one is this. Serving will lead you to humility. You might be saying, oh, great. That's wonderful. The way to true greatness is humility. How do I get that? Listen, serving by itself isn't the definition of humility, but it's a surefire way to get there. Just like if you're working out, that doesn't make you strong but it gets you there. Just like any other virtue, nobody can just become humble. You can't just do that. There's work involved. You can't order a 12-pack of humble off Amazon, even if you're a Prime member. It doesn't work like that. We have to put some work in for this. I just wanted to read a short uh, section of a book that I read with a few gentlemen from our church and a mentor group. The book was called Celebrate, Their Celebration of Discipline. And... uh, it talked about a wide range of topics, but it had some really great stuff to say about humility. And it says this, Humility is one of those virtues that is never gained by seeking it. The more we pursue it, the more distant it becomes. To think we have it is sure evidence that we don't. But nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service. And nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. And it goes on to talk about how as we serve, it has this way of digging out and crucifying is the word they use in there. Crucifying our selfishness, our arrogance, and our pride. There are multiple ways that we can probably grow in humility, but serving is absolutely one way to get there. And greatness is created, not just out of nowhere, but in the process as we serve. And this is exactly what Jesus modeled in John 13 for his disciples. The third thing that I wanted to talk about was increasing in humility doesn't decrease your value, it doesn't decrease your worth or your position. There's a very famous quote that says Humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself, it means thinking of yourself less. See, Jesus, through all of this, he remained the Lord. He remained their teacher. It says that in verses 13 and 14. He made sure that didn't change because he served. The value, the worth, and the position of Jesus did not change. And you know what? In his life, there were times when he hung out with sinners. There were times when he hung out with tax collectors and lepers and outcasts. And the religious people of the day said, no, you can't do that. And they were trying to take down his value and rip down his worth. But Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was the Son of God. And that's why he didn't change how he lived his life. See, if you want to be a great dad, or a great mom, great friend, great son, daughter, brother, sister, if you want to be great, we need to know who we are. Because when we're humble, it doesn't mean we're worthless, or we're not valuable anymore. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We are children of God. We have value. Intrinsic value. We have worth. We were created by a Father who loves us in heaven. And if we somehow lose that in the process of trying to be humble, we're going to fall in two traps. Number one, we're going to stop serving. Because as people look at us as inferior and tell us we're not worth anything, if we start believing them, we're going to stop serving. We just are. We can't believe that lie. The other is that we all have positions in life. Again, today's Father's Day. Dad's. Am I saying you should serve your kids? Yes. But there is a way and a place to do that. Should we do absolutely everything for our kids their entire lives? No. No, that's actually harmful to our kids. And it, it happens, sadly, in our culture so often right now. But in our position as father or as mother or maybe as mentor, our job is actually to teach them, to show them the way, to enable them to serve other people and then to model it. See, we don't want to do absolutely everything. Our, our position doesn't disappear just because we're being humble. So the way to true greatness is humility. Serving will lead to humility. And increasing in humility doesn't decrease your value, worth, or position. So we might think that being the greatest is this really complex thing, but it's actually quite simple. It actually starts with just a choice. We need to choose to serve. And as we do this, I truly believe that we will start to live a life and become a person that lines up with what Jesus defined as great. So, this week, today, in a month, I would encourage you when someone needs help to choose to serve. When there's a job out there that seems menial or seems below you, I would encourage you to choose to serve. When someone needs compassion, perhaps they need a listening ear, An empathetic ear. Sit. Be with them. And listen. See, and sometimes we get confused. We're going after the trophy. Someone like that, we're trying to offer advice. We want to solve all their problems. And I know I've certainly done that. I mentioned Kirk earlier. This is something that he's really taught me. But actually, in most of those moments, maybe not all, but in most, we are choosing to serve when we just sit there in silence and have our presence be there. But there's so many ways we can serve. Financially, we can choose to serve. As Andrew mentioned last week, volunteering at church, maybe a youth shelter. um, There's so many ways around the city. A soup kitchen. We can choose to serve. When we feel like something is below us, we can choose to serve. When someone has done something to us, but we actually ended up not getting hurt, but we could tell the motivation wasn't right. See, we can choose to try and punish them with our silence or losing our friendship, or we can maybe let them off the hook. We can choose to serve in that way. And as the passage in that book said, one of the most significant things we can do in our life, when nobody is watching, I want to encourage you to choose to serve. This is something that every single one of us, I love this part of uh, the message that every single one of us, as soon as this is done, we can choose to do this. Many things in life, really complex and challenging, but literally everyone watching can choose to serve. And as we choose to serve, that is going to strip out from the inside of us, bit by bit, the selfishness, the pride, and the arrogance. But when it does it, it doesn't just leave a hole in us, it actually leaves room for something to grow. That is humility, and that is greatness, as Jesus defined it. So as I end today, I'm looking at a list of things. And I don't have time to share them with you right now. I'm looking at a list of five or six things right now. Ways that I know I've missed it in being a dad. And the common thread in these things, that those things were ended up being all about me. They ended up being all about me. But I have another list here. Same number of things. And these are moments, these are times that I felt like I truly was being a great dad. And the common denominator there is that it was all about them, all about lifting them up and encouraging them. And when I have an opportunity to speak, I want to encourage you to take steps closer to Jesus. I want to encourage you in your faith. And I think the best way that I could do that today is to be just really clear. So dads, moms, sons, daughters, friends, grandparents, everyone that's listening right now, if you hear anything today, I hope you'll hear this. You will find greatness when you choose to serve. You'll find that greatness in yourself, and you'll find it in other people as well. You'll see it like you've never seen it before. It's very simple. As we choose to pursue the towel instead of trophy, when we choose to lift others up instead of lifting ourselves up, in all of our contexts, in all of the ways that our lives are different, in all the ways that our lives are the same, as we choose to serve, Jesus is going to do something in our hearts. He's going to transform us, and he is going to cultivate true greatness. And next week, we'll be discussing what that lived-out greatness looks like and how once we start living it, we will find that it will lead us to the most fulfilling life that we could possibly live, that is meaningful, that is joyful, that is impactful. But for this week, please, one thing, one step at a time, I want to encourage you to choose to serve.
0: Thank you, Todd, for that amazing message, and thank you all for listening to our podcast. Don't be a stranger. Please be sure to follow us on all of our socials to keep up with what's going on. And I can guarantee you that one of our staff members will be in touch with you. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon.